As you know, we are currently in the sermon series, Once Upon a Time, Seeing Yourself in the Parables, and that is why we have these mirrors up here. So today, as we go through this message, I want you to remember that you're supposed to be looking inward at yourself, and they're supposed to gauge us kind of where we are spiritually. Pastor Matt and I were talking a couple days ago about how our worlds have been a little bit rocked as we prepare these sermons. Um, you can't preach a sermon if you haven't let God work in your heart first. And so I have to tell you, friends, this one kicked my rear end. So uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Garen talked to us about living life minimally or living life maximally and how we should be living it maximally and how uh, God wants us to do that and we should, we should do that. And then last week, Pastor Matt talked to us about um, counting the cost of uh, being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. So today we're going to talk about the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. Uh, back uh, when this parable was written, um, anybody who wasn't married uh, should have been a virgin, as is today, but back then it was really the case. So um, and, and any time anybody talked about um, a virgin at a wedding, it, it meant that they were, bride, they were probably the bridesmaids. So they can be used interchangeably. Some versions have virgins, some vir verses have bridesmaids, but we are going to use bridesmaids today, just so you know, so that this whole front row, two rows of kids won't be laughing the whole time that we talk. So <laughs> to kick things off, I want to show you a few wedding pictures. Ah, anybody guess who that is? Lyman and Sandra Stanton. They just had their 50th wedding, 50th wedding anniversary not too long ago. Uh, yay. Right? That was when I was much skinnier. All right, move on. All right, check this one out. Check this one out. Lynn had a perm. He says that perms were in style back then, but I don't know. I may be too young to remember. I don't know. Oh, uh, and Greg and Natalie. Beautiful. That's my brother and Christy. Nick and Stephanie. Lisa and Greg. Alma and Keegan. Aw, everybody say aw. Well, I want you to think about for a minute your wedding. And if you're not married, the wedding of someone you know. Think about how excited you were leading up to the days um, of the wedding. Think about the anticipation that you had leading up to the days of the wedding. And I want you to keep in, or leading up to your friend's wedding. Um, I want you to uh, keep that in mind as we, we go through the sermon today. So turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 25, 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish one took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. Back then, the lamps were fueled by oil. The wise ones, sorry, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. 
there may not be enough for both us and you. Go to those who sell oil and buy some. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The bridesmaids who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, Jesus says, because you do not know the day or the hour. Well, notice that Jesus begins at that time. Jesus is talking about his return here. In the passage preceding this one, in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 39, Jesus says to his disciples, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and given into marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of heaven will be like, what will happen when Christ returns. Jesus injects into this particular parable a bit of history. History is linear, linear as you know. It moves forward in sequ sequential time increments. And he says, at that time, it will be like. Now, let's have a brief bit of concept. The prophets, Jesus' ancestors, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and specifically Daniel, had promised that at some point in history, God would right all the wrongs, heal all the wounds, defeat every evil, and wipe away every tear. Amen? So this anticipation hung in the air with these disciples this, when he was telling the story. For Jesus' first century audience, they lived with this expectation, anticipation, and assumption that at any moment he was coming that he was going to come into this world which is broken and fix it. So when Jesus says at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like, this is sort of the context that we're talking about. The sort of thing that would be hanging in their heads would be, oh, at some point God is going to do it. He's going to act and he's going to fix this place. Heal all wounds and put our world back together. That is the sort of thing that was hanging around the edges of the audience as Jesus tells this parable. At that time... The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Now, to understand going out to meet the bridegroom, um, let me give you some background because that's not the way we do things today. Back then, there was an engagement party where uh, the groom-to-be would bring a contract uh, to the, the, the person he wanted to marry, to the bride, and, um, and her father as well. And this was called the bride price. And it was customary back then to pay for the one you were going to marry. Um, it showed her worth, and it also compensated the parents for the cost of uh, raising the child. I kind of wish we had that back then. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, as I read this, um, George pointed out to me that my dad gave me away for free. <laughs> he didn't get anything. And then it got me thinking about my sister and if she was really given away for free or if he paid for her because he loved her so much and they just didn't tell me, I don't know. 
I'm not sure what that says about either one of us, but we'll move on. So, um, if the proposal was accepted by the bride and her dad, the groom would then leave her and he would go to his father's house and he would build an additional room onto the house, on his father's house, to where he would bring his bride and then that's where they would live. So if a father had many sons, then there would be many additions onto the house. Um, I'm sure my dad is really glad that we didn't do that. But this addition, building this addition, could take anywhere from a year to two years to build, and they wouldn't typically see each other until that, until then, uh, until the groom came to get her. So um, the tradition was that the groom would come and get the bridesmaids. The, the, it doesn't mention anything about um, the bride. It just says that he would come and get the bridesmaids uh, during the night, usually. It was supposed to be really fun and exciting, and you got to remember, they were young. Girls on the front row, stand up, please. And in the back, in the second row, y'all all stand up. Turn around and let everybody see you. They would be this age. The bridegroom would be coming to get bridesmaids that were this age. So keep that in mind, uh, the excitement that, that this age would have, how loud they would be, you know, and what they would be talking about the boy and what was going to happen and all of that stuff. So I, I need to say more. So, um... Anyway, it was loud, exciting, fun time. And when they heard the knock of the bridegroom, they would jump up, they would go crazy trying to get everything together. It was the bridesmaid's job to lead the wedding procession all the way through town uh, with their lamps. They would hold the lamps to light the way. So that, it, it was a big deal back then. Um, it, was, it was her duty. So uh, the journey would include a lot of noise, a lot of clanging, and a lot of singing. And when the bridegroom's bridegroom came, it would kick off anywhere from a couple of days to a week or maybe even more of parties with all your friends. Doesn't sound too bad, huh? Now, if some of you are saying, I just don't understand the custom, the first century customs, all you need is a Taylor Swift video to help you out. The most up-to-date information on romance, heartbreak, reconciliation, and more heartbreak because that's all she sings about. Um, I don't know what else, what, else does she, what else does she deal with, what other issues? Well, anyway. She is definitely uh, turning 22. Yes, Briley knows how to sing that one. Uh, she is definitely our Shakespeare of the day. So, Now, this is the sort of mood that is hovering around this parable. The bridegroom was about to show up, and there is going to be an epic feast. There is going to be food, wine. Yes, they drank wine back in that day. And dancing. Everybody you know is going to be in the same place, in some cases, for days on end. And joy is the con context of this parable. Some people associate the coming of Jesus with dread. Maybe because of the unknown, I'm not sure. But this context is joy. Um, we're watching for a party, we're waiting for a party, friends. So we need to understand that this is the setting of the parable. The bridegroom is going to come and he's going to kick off a massive feast with joy, joy, joy. Now let's continue in the parable. Starting with verse 2. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, it's five foolish and five wise, and they all fell asleep. So it's not bad that they fell asleep. In some, some places in the Bible, it says don't fall asleep, but they all fell asleep. It was fine. It was the middle of the night. Um, so it's not bad in this, this parable that they were asleep. Um, it's late, so... They slept. So this parable focuses on the delay of the bridegroom. He doesn't come right away. He is delayed. There is a gap of time between 
the time that, that he left his bride and the time that he came back to get the bridesmaids. Well, in Jesus' day, they were assuming that God was going to come back and he was going to do a mighty thing on their behalf. You can see why there is a whole string of Christian thought that has interpreted this scripture um, in different ways. Some along the lines of, well, it just means Jesus isn't here, but he's coming back. Um, others say, well, you can't really make this about Jesus and the church and the modern world. You have to make it about back then, God and Israel and what was happening in Jesus' day. But however you choose to interpret it, it's not the point. The point is that God is both present and absent, which is a sub-theme. He is both present and absent. And there is a number of uh, parables that tell us about this. Let me show you two that I think give greater understanding to this parable. In chapter 21, Jesus tells a parable, Then the man rented a vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. So, he rents his, he rents his, his land out, and then he moves. He's absent. He has taken action. He has left the place. In chapter 22, Jesus tells a parable, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. But what you realize quite quickly as you're reading it is that the son isn't even present in the parable. The king is having a banquet for his son. He has the servants go out and invite people to come to it. But uh, in the actual unfolding, the son is nowhere to be mentioned. He's nowhere to be there. He's absent. And then in chapter 25, after the parable that we are talking about today, Jesus tells the parable in which it will be like a man going on a journey. So this whole section of parables Jesus is talking, telling us about these stories is about presence and absence. There's a key character to the story, who is sort of the engine, um, the tank of the story. Uh, the, the, he puts the plot in gear, the wind gets the wind up and going, uh, and it pours fuel on the tank of the story, but they're not around after that. In Jesus' day, the question was, yes, we worship God. Yes, he is present. Yes, he has a temple, but God was supposed to do something, and God hasn't done it. They were expecting him to come back at any minute, and he hadn't done it. And then where, was, where is God with the things that we see around us? When that boy was abused, when that girl was neglected, when that family was abandoned, where is God? When you got cancer, when there was a horrible calamity, when that person was left out in the cold, where is God? You see, to be a person of faith in this world with the kind of suffering that we see all around us, with the profound, massive ways in which our world is off kilter, to be a person of faith is to live with a sense of God's presence and absence. Yes, God is present. The joy is here. The peace is now. And yet there is a profound sense, if you are really honest with yourself. And oftentimes we would say, God feels profoundly absent. And we live kind of in that tension. And what Jesus does here is he tells a parable about how you live in the tension of God's presence and absence. Yes, God is close. Yes, God is near. Yes, we can feel God. Yes, we can sing to God. Yes, the Spirit is here. And yet at the same time, the world is really, really broken. And on a number of very conspicuous occasions, God doesn't seem to be here to stop all the horrible things that happen in our world from happening. Some of you know what I'm talking about. This is a parable about presence and absence. That is the setting. I wonder if presence and absence is something we should talk about more. 
especially for the new believers that come here. How many people do you, how many of you know people that have come to church and have walked away from faith, religion, God, the Bible, Jesus, whatever it is, because God at some key moment in their life did not show up when they thought he should, where they thought he should, and how they thought he should. So I said, this is enough. This is a waste of my time. But if you have presence and absence, then you don't need to walk away because you understand that that's just part of it. And this is assumption of a number of Jesus' parables, presence and absence. The main character is present and also absent at the same time. This is the kind of tension that we need to pay attention to. Sorry, my mouth is dry this morning. Secondly, then, there is another theme right below this parable. In chapter 21, Jesus tells a story about a man who rented a vineyard to some farmers. The farmers in the story have the vineyard and it's producing. In chapter 22, he sent his servants uh, to, sorry, in chapter 22, he sent his servants to the ones who have been invited. The king throws a banquet and the parable is not about who actually has the land, but it's about what they are going to do with it, with the invitation to come to that land. They're in, they're accepted, they're welcome, they're invited. And then thirdly, like in chapter 25 that we're discussing, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Uh, as the parable of the talents is about a number of people and all their given wealth. And here is why this is so huge, friends. Jesus does not tell about people, tell stories about people who are in and people who are out. He doesn't set these parables up this way. It's all, we're all in. Everybody's in. It's our choice of whether we want to be in or out, but he includes us all. He doesn't create separation. He tells parables of inclusion. Everybody's invited. Everybody's been entrusted. Everybody's been given the wealth. Everybody's in, and the parables are about how you respond to that inclusion. There's a party. Are you going or are you not going? You've been given phenomenal wealth. Are you going to use it or are you not going to use it? So Jesus doesn't tell parables about your in and your out. Everybody's in. So what will you do with the inness? Are you with me? All right, this is key. These are parables about people already invited, accepted, and entrusted. These are themes that just run just below the surface of the parable. Now verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come and meet him. So the bridegroom comes around midnight. The, cre the cry rings out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. And he is singing. I imagine. It doesn't say that. He, and he is singing. I imagine. Sorry. I'm reading my notes. Uh, it doesn't say that, but it sounded good anyway. Um, verse 7 says, Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there might not be enough for both of us. Instead, you go to those who sell it and buy some. But while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. Okay, so that's the parable. Half have, have enough oil, half don't. 
the bridegroom actually arrives as the five are prepared and they go into the party and the other five rush off to buy some more, but no shops are open at that time. And BTW, which means, by the way, for those of you that do any kind of texting with kids, you would never show up at a wedding late. It is the one show in town, and there has been, what, a year, two years preparation, excitement building up for this event, so you, you wouldn't miss it. You wouldn't have any reason to miss it. You would have known about it way in advance, and if you didn't know about it way in advance, you would have known about it when the wedding party was going through uh, the town because you would have heard all of the noise. So what would be your excuse? You've, you've had years. Everyone knows. Everyone goes. It's a small village, so you can hear all the ruckus. So what do you mean late, Jesus says? Keep watch. Also, interesting in this story, again, history is not circular. It's linear. In this story, history moves forward, and you do not get another chance. Jesus says, Jesus doesn't say, but this is the interesting thing. Come back in two weeks and there'll be another wedding and you can be prepared then and come in. He doesn't say that. He just gives them this one chance. Now, before we get all hung up on that, um, let's just remember that he's talking about today. So what is in it for us? Let me um, give you a quick overview of these kingdom parables that Jesus tells. Because if you line them all up, the progression... Uh, you'll find a number of scholars and commentators will point out that there are three groups and they father, follow a sort of progression. Uh, Pastor, Matt, uh, sorry, Pastor Geraldo talked to us about how a seed is planted in four different soils. And then uh, Pastor Matt talked to us about wheat growing along weeds. He talked to us about mustard seeds that are small, yet they grow big. And then Pastor Garen talked to us about yeast, treasure hidden, and fine pearls rare. The first ones form a sort of a group, and they are all about smallness, slowness, and hiddenness. They are about a kingdom that takes root, but it's quiet. It's upside down. It comes in the back door. It's hidden. It's slow. It's a kingdom not like the kingdom that Jesus' audience was expecting, which would have been loud and clangy and violent. Come, come here and drive out the Romans, which is what they thought Jesus was going to do. Actually, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, the peace and joy of God isn't really that loud, isn't really that clangy, and isn't violent. It's like a seed that is planted. It is patient, small, slow, hidden. Perhaps you know exactly this kingdom I am talking about. We've been through something really, really difficult. The loss of someone you love, a horrible diagnosis, financial catastrophe, and in this absolutely devastating circumstance, you found yourself having a peace and a joy that you couldn't describe. It was like something that got planted, and it was counterintuitive. Everything, wait, 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 everything's falling apart, but yet I have this peace and this joy despite. Or for some, it's when they first met Jesus, trusted, God, trusted Christ, invited Jesus into their heart, became a believer. There was that growing experience of this is real and this is peace and this is joy and contentment I have been looking for my whole entire life, but now I've found it. But it wasn't by anything that I did, but rather it was by God's grace. And I found it in my smallness, my brokenness, and my humbleness. Jesus says, first off, let me tell you about this kingdom. Let me tell you about this reality. It is slow it starts small, and sometimes it is a hidden reality. So there is sort of the first group of parables he tells. Second, 
In chapter 18, he tells a parable about a king who wanted to settle accounts. So this king brought someone in front of him and says, I know you owe me money. I'm getting rid of your debt. Grace. He had grace on him. He also tells a parable of a landowner who hires workers. And the workers come, some come in the morning, and they work all day, and they get paid. And then some come at the last hour, and he pays them exactly the same thing that he paid the ones that had been there all day. Grace. Grace, it's unachieved, unearned, and unmerited. It just is. God does not love you for your goodness, your rightness, how many times you've volunteered in the nursery, how many, time, how many service hours you've accrued, or any of that. God just loves you. That's the shocking message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that it's just grace for free, for nothing, because he loves you exactly as we are in the midst of all of our I-don't-have-it-togetherness, in the midst of all of the stupid mistakes that we make, in the midst of our spiritual deadness, in the ways that we've messed up, the ways that we've goofed up, the ways that we've completely missed the plot of what Jesus is trying to tell us, grace just is. Okay, so this kingdom comes in the back door. It is slow, it is small, it is, hid it is hidden. How does it work? What is the fuel? It's grace. That's how it works. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. And that's why religion can, can be destructive if, if we, we don't pay attention to what Jesus is, is really saying. Because in it, ever, it can ever so subtly teach you, well, I'm a good person most of the time. I'll go to heaven just because I think I'm good. Or, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I don't necessarily follow him, but I believe in him. But surely I'll get to heaven that way. Or, well, I try to do the right thing, so I'm good. But that's not, that's not it, friends. You're at the party because you're at the party. Because you didn't earn the party. You're just there because it's grace. So the verse group, small, slow, hidden, second group of parables was grace. And then there's a third set. At midnight, the cry rang out. This parable, is, as we have seen, is about then the bridegroom came and how you were living all of the sudden mattered. It mattered. Some were prepared and some weren't. Then he follows that up um, with the parable about a man who went away on a journey and gave all of his wealth, and after a long time, the master of all those servants returned. And when the master returned, the people who were entrusted with the wealth were to give an account for what they had done with that wealth. He starts with slow, slowness, smallness, hiddenness and grace, but he ends with warning. How you live matters now. Do not get caught outside the party. I don't want to be caught outside the party. Warning, urgency, readiness. If the bridegroom comes, are you wise or are you foolish? Are you prepared or unprepared? Are you ready or are you not ready? How are you living today? How am I living today? Because it matters. Because history is linear and it moves forward. It's not cyclical. How you live today matters. There are stories and there are parables that Jesus tells us where if we were to place ourselves there, sometimes, it, sometimes it's, imagine yourself on a couch. Sometimes it is if Jesus comes up to us, puts his arm around us, and he speaks calmly and slowly and compellingly 
and healing and rest and grace and forgiveness. He speaks over us. But sometimes he might come on the couch and put his arm around you and say, it's okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. I got this. Sometimes he might say, I've already gone before you, I've taken care of it, but you just have to wait. Sometimes he speaks a quiet, healing, comforting word that calms us down uh, and releases us and liberates us to do something um, that we just never thought we could do. And it just makes us breathe a sigh of relief. Sometimes that is how I hear his voice. But, friends, that is not the voice in this parable. The voice in this parable is, what are you thinking? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing that for? It's urgent. It's not the same comforting, calming voice in the other parables. This one is, is, is different. Sometimes we hold things um, that we've done, sins that we've done, hurts that we've done to others, we hold it against ourselves. But you know what? Jesus comes along beside us even then, and he says, I'm not holding it against you, so why are you still holding it against you? I might say it this way. The parable is warning us about how we should be living right now. And one of the illusions is that we have more time, that we can put things off. In the presence of absence, it is easy to get lulled into, well, later. But the truth is, kids grow up. Bodies fail. And some opportunities pass, and you don't get another chance. So, this parable is about readiness today. Is there anything that you have been putting off? The strong, compelling, beautiful word of Jesus is, you do not have tomorrow, you only have today. I don't promise tomorrow. I have been to three funerals this week, friends. Three. God does not promise us tomorrow. And this is not to scare anybody, this is just the truth. We are only promised today. This is a parable about readiness, urgency, warning, and preparation. Is there anything that you have been putting off under the illusion that you might get to it tomorrow? You know it's the next right thing to do, but you just don't have the motivation. You're just putting it off. What about things like, well, I'll spend time with my kids later. There's always later. There's always tomorrow. No, 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 there's not more time later, and you know it. That's not how it works. Is there anything about your own care of yourself? Oh, I'm going to slow down then when I get this done, when I get that done. I'm going to take better care of myself then. Has the doctor given you some, any specific instructions about how you care for the one body that he's given you? But you say, ah, it's not really that serious. But friends, it is. It is really, really, really serious. Jesus says, there are the wise, and then there are the foolish. The band can come on back up. Are there any sins that you are tangled up in? And the illusion is, yeah, 
I know this probably isn't the right thing to do. I know I probably shouldn't be doing it, but eh, there's always tomorrow to straighten up. But perhaps the resurrected word of the risen Christ today is, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Friends, I've been there. I have been there. And there's so much peace and joy when you live today for Jesus. Jesus wants us to know that there is a party raging. There is a giant, epic celebration. Why would you not join it? If you were to think through the ways in which you weren't ready today, what would they be? Is there idolatry? Something that you have placed, that you've elevated above God, and it's consuming your life, it's renting free space in your heart and in your head. Is there greed? Anything that you have an insatiable appetite for that you can't stop? Friends, that's not, that's not joy. Is there something today that you need to confess and turn away from and to be transformed? Lust, infidelity, anger, rage, hatred, malice. You can't go to a party that God is at and have all of those things. That's not ready. That's not party ready. And Jesus said, today, let's let that go. I let yours go. You let it go too. He calls us in these parables to warning, urgency, readiness, and preparation. They are not long parables about time and patience. They are short parables about you have the joy of today. Is, you have the joy of today. Today's all you've got. Is there any slander or lies that you've told that you've had to tell another lie to cover up and then another lie to cover that lie up and then you've forgotten all of the lies and you can't keep them straight? can't get into the party like that. Are there amends you need, that need to be made? Is there a dream, a vision, a hope for the future? Something you have been given to do, God has given you to do, and it's the next right thing, but fear is holding you back? And Jesus says, here, I've got it. I've got it. I'll take care of it. Let's do this. Let's do this next right thing. The realities of history is that history is linear, and it goes forward, and sometimes we do get another opportunity, but this parable is about the bridegroom coming for the bridal party, and there are the wise, and there are the foolish, and you don't get a second chance at this wedding. And before... We get caught up in the fact that, well, I thought we always had a second chance. We do. We have second chances as long as we're alive. God is full of grace and God is full of mercy. But, like I said, he doesn't promise us tomorrow. Is there anyone here today that's living a particular way, a way that you shouldn't be living? You know you shouldn't, but you just don't know how to get out of it? Jesus is sending you an urgent reminder today to live 
for him today because all you have is now. You have now. You have now. You have now. You have now. I have now. You have now. You have now. You have now. You have now. That's all we have. We just have now. The altars are open today. I know it's been a heavy message. It's what happens when you open up the Gospels. I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to, to, to leave here discouraged. I don't want you to leave here thinking, I'm hopeless, it's too late. Because it's not. God is a God of grace. And he is not looking down on us right now saying, well, I wish you would have done that. Well, you should have done that. Well, blah, blah, blah. He is looking at us with love and grace and saying, come to my party. I want you here because I love you. Come. Come today. Come right now. So I'm going to open the altars, and I just want you to come. I want you to think about that excitement that you had when you first got married or when you went to a wedding, for those of you who aren't married, and think about the anticipation, and, and, and I want you to think about what it's going to be like when Christ comes. It's not scary like some think. It's going to be a party, people. It's going to be a party, and I want you to think about that, and I want you to think about if you have any anything that you need to confess. If you want to come down to the altar and pray with somebody just to, to get things off your chest, there's going to be some people down here on this side of the altar that you can pray with. If you just want to pray by yourself and just talk to Jesus, come down to this altar. I don't want you to harden your hearts today, guys. If you've heard the Lord's voice today, respond to what he's told you. You can respond in your seats, but there is something about walking up to these altars and giving it to God. Don't be shy. Don't look around. Don't think, well, I wonder what his sin is that he's going to confess. It's about you and God in this moment. So I'll pray. I want you to come. And the people that I asked to come pray with people, if y'all will come over to this side of the altar. Um, so come as I pray. God, we thank you for your word today. It is... Um, it is heavy. But God, it's really a good news. It's really grace that we're talking about. It's really um, a celebration of the fact that you are, are present even though we can't see you, Lord. You're present in the absence, Lord. God, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, in the places that we need to hear today. I pray, Lord, that if there are things that we're putting off, Lord, that we need to do, I pray that we would just do them. God, that you would give us the strength and the clarity to do them. Lord, whether it's to ask somebody for forgiveness, to pick up the phone and tell somebody that we're sorry. Lord, whether, it, whether it's to uh, go somewhere that you told us to go, or whether it's um, to, to sign up for a college, or whatever the case may be, switch jobs. Lord, I, I, I won't pretend to, to go through all of the, the scenarios, the different scenarios that we might be holding back on. Lord, if we just ask that you would just help us this morning, that you would just send your grace in this place and that you would help us to be able to do the things that you have called us to do. Lord, for those in here that might be entangled in sin, God, I've been there. I've been there. 
it's not a fun place to be and you feel like you can't get out. You feel like you're so deep and you're so far there that there is no way out. But God, you pull us out by your grace. You literally reach your hand down and pull us out. It's what I felt like you did with me, God. And I thank you for that grace and I ask you to help my friends here today, Lord, if they're in sin. God, you don't ask us to have shame or condemnation. You just want us to have a full life and have it now. God, we ask you for those that are sick, those that need healing. Would you just reach down and touch them? Would you enable them to make uh, that step of faith, Lord, and, 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 and ask them yourselves, ask them yourselves for their healing, Lord. I remember Kathy Conrad coming to my daughter when she had a broken leg and saying, Ashley, you need to pray for yourself. And Ashley got better that week. And the doctor said it was a miracle because she had the courage to ask you for her healing. God, give us that courage to ask you for what we need. You're a God who wants to give it. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word. I pray that we would leave here, Lord, and that we would be transformed, that we wouldn't leave and just forget what we've heard because it was too much to deal with or because there's too much to do. God, you work with us on one thing at a time. I am living proof of that, Lord. I thank you for what you have done in my life. I thank you that you've brought me out of the, the, the pit Lord, that you've just lifted me up and set my feet on solid ground. Lord, I ask you to do that for all of us here today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.